0: Welcome to the Heroes of Reality podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest.
1: Good morning, young adventurers. Dylan here. On today's podcast, I interview Vengales Limparides. He is a whole body interaction XR designer. He teaches XR, which is both AR and VR interaction design at the School of Engineering for USC. He's also the chief design officer for Applied VR, a medical VR company that is FDA approved to treat VR therapy. And so we have a deep, wide-ranging conversation on XR, on mentorship, on critical thinking. What does it take? for young designers to be able to design things, not just pass along instructions, make them red or blue, but how to critically think, to take information in, uh, cognitively think about it and output something that is part them and part applied science. On top of that, we go deep into the vagus nerves, the meaning of that, how we can all connect as a society and civilization. There was a wide ranging and wonderful talk. If you're in the areas of VR design or XR design and you want to learn how to level up your skills, I highly recommend this podcast. So without any further ado, I would like to present Ben Calis. Hey, Ben, how you doing, buddy? All right. There we go. <laughs> that worked. It worked. We're connected. <laughs> oh, That's man. That's great. I know the whole meetings with Zoom and everything, it's like some people are knocking on the door and you can't tell. And you're like, I wonder yeah. who they are. <laughs>
0: Is that a real background? That is
1: a real background. That's real. Nice. And
0: Mine
1: I've... too. <laughs> You're just holding on the outside of a rocket ship, just like <laughs> no, I'm in. I'm in a New Orleans, so it's a lot of concrete and stuff. Oh, nice. On new
0: Orleans. Yeah. Huh?
1: Perfect. Yeah, yeah. It's good times. VR stuff. Um,
0: how you been, brother? What's new with you? Uh, what's new is that I just finished the course at USC, so I'm, I'm better, you know. You just you just finished the course? Yeah, because I've uh, I've been teaching the whole semester, and that's the most exciting news. I'm done with it for the semester. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. But yeah, I've been doing great. Um, being stealth, working remotely, we're privileged. We can work remotely. And there's a lot of um, uh, movement around because everyone is thinking about innovation and r And d uh, COVID was a big booster for telehealth and digital health. So, you know, I'm working a lot in the domain. The, the product that I designed for Applied VR got breakthrough designation uh, at FDA as a breakthrough device. Uh, So we have the first virtual reality therapy that is going out there and uh, more will follow. But, you know, to um, put in your story that, you know, you designed the first breakthrough device, uh, delivering VR therapeutics uh, through FDA, it's a a big thing. So I'm very grateful for for the, (laughs) thanks. That's awesome. The the work we've done at Applied. And, you know, there's a lot more to come. That's incredible. Some other companies now. Uh, I'm uh, working also with uh, with Europe, the European Union and uh, EIC, which is the, the big uh, organization that funds a lot of uh, research and uh, startups in the in Europe. Uh, there's a lot of interest in, in VR also um, in Europe and in general innovation. You know, I think that has um, uh, globalization kind of pulled back in national state, uh, states and, you know, a new wave of nationalism to the degree that is not dangerous, but uh, just competitive in terms of technologies and innovation. There's a lot of stimulation now that governments are putting in for innovation. Uh, everyone is boosting funding, they give incentives for people to um uh, move to the countries and start companies and all that i've been working with the, the uk government as well you know they have a very aggressive plan for um attracting companies from the us to uh, move into uk or start chapters in the uk the same for europe the same for switzerland so it's a it's a new world where for a little while there will be a huge boost in innovation, then you know the dose will close and then we'll see Will we go to globalization 2.0, well, we'll roll back to the caves, <laughs> It's so
1: funny. What's, well, I, mean, I mean, us being in the world of virtuality development and all that fun stuff, I mean, they basically overnight, virtuality went from the vitamin to a pain pill. We went from, ah, <laughs> oh, it's, it's a nice idea to, no, we need it and we need it like yesterday. So then, the mm-hmm. influx of capital to try to make up the excess feed, all that fun stuff. So that's incredible. In terms of, like, I mean, just to kind of, just kind of take a step back, could you kind of say just a little bit of, kind of what you do in the world of VR and kind of your your role and all that?
0: Sure. Yeah, uh, I like to think that I'm a, more of a native in uh, in virtual reality in the the XR because I had the. The privilege to to work academically in the domain before VR became a thing for the, the masses at this at least last wave of uh, virtual reality uh, for um, uh, for me and for us at the USC that we had that privilege to to work uh, in uh, in virtual reality for some uh, uh, years there was and also other academics and. Um, everywhere around the the world that worked in previous uh, ways of virtual reality, there there was no novelty in the medium. We didn't think like, oh my god, this new thing that came out and let's find out how it works and let's try and see what works and what doesn't. (laughs) We already knew a little bit of what works and what doesn't and we wanted a solid Uh, hardware platform and software integration to explore actually productization of virtual reality, existing research and existing things into, you know, the uh, into services. Mm -hmm. So that's what what happened, you know, with um, uh, all the this new wave of uh, virtual reality. Uh, We had the the, um, luxury to enjoy platforms that they, they're solid uh, at this moment. They're not ideal, but at least, you know, they're reliable, they're scalable, uh, they're getting better uh, year by year. Um, uh, Even, you know, thinking that this new wave is uh, six years old, and to see the progress within these six years, Is um, very uh, assertive about the the future and uh, what's going to come. So I came to virtual reality from an academic standpoint, and Mm -hmm. then I moved into the industry, I founded my my company, and then I worked um, in various uh, XR projects across disciplines. Um, Get back, got, got back into USC Uh, three years ago at the school of engineering, now not the School of Cinematic Arts I used to be, and started teaching AR, VR and mixed reality as a class for uh, graduate students in uh, computer science. And Through that, I'm running around 90 students a semester, and anywhere from 12 to 15 projects, half of them games and the other uh, applications across different industry applications and uh industry verticals and uh use cases so mm-hmm. that's awesome it's interesting you can always see the trickle
1: down effect from first primarily military applications like the internet sorry, then it goes into university applications and then it trickles down into consumers and all the way out the down to mainstream and what you're that's talking awesome. about is actually bringing it from the sciences to actually applied sciences. We can actually take Mm -hmm. it and commercialize it, but you you couldn't really do that. I mean, even just the the five, six years that I've been in virtual reality, the headsets that we originally were using, it was, you know, $3,000 for a, a laptop and a headset and external cameras and all that fun stuff. Now you trickle that down to a $300 headset that's as good, if not better, that you can pop up and set up in five minutes versus, you know, all the the bells and whistles that it ticket to get going. So that 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 widening the gap for being able to have anybody it really loads the touch because you're right. The the overall um effectiveness of VR, you know, being able to look around in the space, it's all those things are a lot of knowns, but but actually being able to have mass adoption to where it actually makes business, economical, fiscal oh, sense. And... Mm-hmm. That's the that's the thing that like the way the way I always describe it, it's almost like uh you know, being in the VR space for a number of years, it's like you're a VR developer, a designer, and you're building a town in the desert saying the trains are coming. At one time it's gonna be main street. it's gonna be here. You're just building it up, right? And finally now, especially with COVID, it came. You're like, oh, well, now we're ready. Now let's let's jump into the space, which is which is really incredible. The the main area that you focus in though is primary medical tech. Is that is that the the main area is applied medical applications or
0: yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, that's where I focus in the, in the past years. I'm doing also some things in other areas, but I think uh, medical is a, a viable uh, business at the moment, lots to offer with so many applications across XR, so many different business models, very scientific and evidence-based um and a great opportunity both from business but also from an innovation standpoint you know to, to bring things to light that um are uh, innovative but also you know for the good of uh, humanity so um i've been uh doing that primarily because of my background at usc and the connection with the creative media behavioral health center and lab uh, that uh, primarily explore the power of of media into digital uh, uh, health diagnostics and therapeutics, uh, rather than purely the the engineering or the uh, I don't know the science of that uh, in order mm-hmm. to to produce digital health uh, and especially in uh, in XR and all that you have to have this uh, media component and the the fusion of design and art to embrace the, the scientific evidence and the technology mm. to create things that actually people are using. Uh, and they, they, you drive the the medicine, let's say, with the non-active ingredient of entertainment, you know, and it's <laughs> am generalizing here, but, you know, just for the sake of the argument, I think um, that was something that was identified by the founder of the Creative Media Behavioral Health Center at the Interactive Media Division of the the Cinema School at USC uh, almost 15 years ago. Uh, Professor Gotzi's the visionary in the the field, uh, assessed what was happening at the time and realized that most of the people that were using digital media to do digital therapeutics, they weren't tapping into media. They were just doctors working with engineers or lawmakers and this and that. And then like, so designers weren't in the mix, uh, artists were in the mix. Uh, and that was the, the whole endeavor there to, to connect the dots and really deliver well-rounded uh, solutions. And I've been working with uh, uh, with Marintina uh, Gotzis for the past 10 years at USC, started in 2010. Um, with the intervention for uh, paraplegics Uh, and then you know throughout the years uh, cemented me in so many other areas so when I I worked out uh, being an expert in uh, in VR and XR I also had you know a lot of expertise in designing therapeutics and diagnostics and being mindful on uh, how you you're doing it and what are the, the core principles and Actually, practices to practice it to to the degree that uh bear fruits, and as I mentioned, we now have the the first breakthrough device designation for a VR therapeutic for chronic pain management.
1: That's awesome! Yeah, the really understanding that VR is kind of a pinnacle of interdisciplinary design, where not Mm -hmm. just not it's not just engineers and artists and could be storytellers, but. One of the best things about the space is that everybody can come with their tool belt, right? And they go, hey, I've got a hammer. What can I do? They're, what are do you? Do? You're an engineer? That way. artist. That way. Everybody, and even the subject matter experts in any of the spaces, I mean, because you're really, you're more or less taking your reality and you're stacking your reality on this virtual reality and going, okay, it, it, what works inside the physical space? Well, how do we make it better inside the virtual space? And so, so many people can come into the environmentals and actually stack upon it. A couple of the challenges that you touched on that I think is a really good point, and then I'll I'll dive into what you worked on, is one of the things I think is really interesting is you're talking about going into an actual space for people that actually use something. A lot of times when people put on VR, their mind gets blown. They're like, this is great. This is so fun. Oh my God, I could, and they just start building things, but people have been building VR for a number of years, designing, and developing it. One of the first questions we ask is, why VR? Why do it here at all? Why not do it a mobile app or why not do anything else besides this? Because sometimes you can start building because it's shiny and you realize that this may not be actually useful at all. Right. And you're like, no, no. Right. And so people stepping into the medical space. The reason why it's so useful is because of all the reasons of why you use virtual reality. Right. Because it's it, is, is it rare? Is it risky? Is it expensive? Is it difficult, right? All those reasons are reasons why you should do it. And if you look at medical, um, the medical industry, it usually ticks all those buckets. And so stepping into the medical field, as well as not only being highly profitable profitable and purpose-driven, it kind of ticks all the buckets to be a very good place to kind of step first in space versus, I don't know, just uh, uh, the augmented reality shoe matching app or or something that -hmm. that does that. So so that makes a lot of sense. would it be what I'd love to curious is like, you tell me a journey about making the first FDA approved therapeutic product for VR. What was that like? You know, like, what was the first threshold guardian that kicked the crap out of you? What I'd love to learn a little bit more about that journey.
0: <laughs> I don't know how much I can disclose, but uh, it was an whatever, exciting journey. Whatever you feel comfortable journey, with, let's get started. Sure. No, it's like a a lot of things are uh, public. Um, So I joined Applied uh, VR uh, three years ago as the chief design officer uh, to oversee the design of um, uh, these uh, new therapeutics that the the company wanted to to offer. Uh, We focus on chronic pain, but uh, we explore a wide range of applications. We've done prototypes and I was running R&D and uh eventually uh product and r&d as we we were scaling up uh when i joined well, i was like, well, like I don't know, 7 8 uh, people it was a small company Post say we grew up to, to 50 so it was exciting to to see also you know from uh the startup at uh, some point how the journey of a, of a startup and the, the people uh, within the um, the early innovators uh, kind of grow in the power the stories that out um, there within the company within the the product. When it comes to the the product, it's like when you are doing RD and D innovation, uh, the sky's the limit. You know, you never say no. It's like, can we do that? It's like, yeah, sure. Let me have a look. You know, so figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll figure it out. Uh, So, one thing that um, uh, characterised this uh, effort was um, the sense of care and compassion, you know, how empathic you had to be towards developing the virtual uh, reality uh, therapy for for chronic pain. You know, it's like uh, uh, people are seriously in pain, in trouble, and that affects their mood, they affect their sleep and all that. we didn't uh, come like here into into this that oh yeah we're just going to put them in there suddenly and we'll solve the problem and we uh, started thinking more about the the um, how to open the window of opportunity for them to absorb and learn new skills so it was all um, uh, driven by psychoeducation and principles of psychotherapy and psychology um uh, a lot of um uh, integration with uh, biosensing and um, be driven by breath which was a, for us the the main component of relaxation and the engagement mm-hmm. of the parasympathetic system and all that for uh, uh, the the, um, the patient to to find some immediate relief and through the immediate relief to open, a window of opportunity to absorbing these new ways of managing the pain and all that. So um, we got, you know, really um, lacking like a way to uh, be in, in at the right time where, you know, America was getting into a point of understanding that opioids and it's not the, the solution we are talking about the opioid crisis, uh, and um, that was also a booster into what we're proposing here. Uh, back in the 1980s, the uh, NIH proposed mindfulness and uh, breathing exercises and meditation and all that as a viable uh, solution to chronic pain. And what we've seen from that was exactly the opposite. So to bring that, because, you know, everyone that went for the cheap dirty solution of an opioid. So instead of investing in long-term behavioral interventions and psychologically driven, you know, interventions that take time and effort, uh, people gravitate into the cheap fix with a pill that creates, you know, way more uh, problems down the road. So although we had this augmentation in the 1980s, we spent 30 years creating this tremendous problem with uh, opioids in the United States uh, with uh, thousands and thousands of uh, people dying every year from overdosing from all kinds of uh, uh, complications. So uh, tackling this problem with uh, virtual reality was uh, exciting, also for investors. You know, we successfully closed the Series A and uh, moved into working with the FDA and uh, doing p- uh, clinical trials and um, testing the it, the product in uh, iterative ways to land into something that, uh, when the the last clinical study uh, came out, and that will. Offered as the uh, in the product, the uh, breakthrough device uh, designation proves uh, more than thirty-five uh, percent reduction in pain. But the most important thing was like improvement in moods, in mood more than forty percent improvement in mood, in more than forty-five percent improvement in sleep. So other things that uh, we foresaw that they're going to be uh, critical uh, components into uh pain management so we weren't just looking into pain but how if we improve your sleep then the the next day you'll uh, sense less pain because now your system won't be aroused because of the lack of sleep so Mm -hmm. how you create something that you know it's a combination of a lot of things that uh point you towards quality of life and better outcomes managing your um uh, condition rather than be fixated in one metric.
1: Yeah. And one thing you really touched on, the, well, there's a couple of things there. One, you're, you're talking about creating a positive feedback loop, right? Mm-hmm. So you you get better sleep, you have a better mood, you have, you know, you, you that whole thing kind of spirals up versus spiraling down, which is the opposite effect when you take opioids or, or things like that. I mean, but it's that tried and true, like there's the, what is it? I don't know, some sort of Ancient quote that I'm gonna butcher to a degree. It goes, well, you you could take the journey around, you know, a, a thousand miles to get to across the, the river, or you know, the ferry boat's a nickel, right? Mm-hmm. And so the problem is, is, that everyone just takes that pill, they go across the way, but they don't understand the destructive effects that they have because there's diminishing turns over time, and it's just, it's just, you know, it's just so much easier to take a pill, and that's why people do it. It's just the, you know, we're inherently lazy, you know, but we want the results, and so that's kind of the problem. The problem with that. One thing i think is really interesting i mean whether it's vr or not vr uh but an area i'd love to talk about um, b- before we get into the threshold guardian bits is your vagus nerve right so you're talking about mm-hmm. your sympathetic for your parasitic nerves i'm really fascinated with the vagus nerve because it's it's one of those things that you know people think that we're thinking machines that feel but we're really feeling machines that think right and we basically created this prefrontal cortex as a way to figure out our environments to really serve our our uh, you know our you know, reptilian brain, our limbic systems, our vagal nerves and stuff like that. And if you think about the vagus nerve, it's a very interesting organ that's connected to the eyes, that's connected to the, to the lungs, that's connected to the heart, the stomachs, so all the way down the body. That is really how you feel is an association. And, and the one connection across that whole thing is breathing and being able to control your breathing. It really, they think it's an autonomic nerve response, but in reality, you can actually control it if you're willing to climb the mountain. Can you want to talk a little bit about that? Because I'm willing to bet you have Sure. Haven't.
0: And if I knew that you knew so much, I will hire you. <laughs> no, because a lot of uh, the research that um, uh, I conducted there had to do with the, the vagus nerve and mm-hmm. how uh, uh, it works. And um, it's, a, it's a very complicated mechanism. And mm-hmm. still, it's under research, you know, and we're trying to find out exactly um, uh, how it informs the, the brain and what is the, the negotiation between the, the organs and the brain and uh, breathing and the diaphragmatic breathing is one of the, the best ways to modulate the, uh, the vagus nerve. Another way is uh, electric stimulation, you know, so <laughs> again you have this paradigm that well, there are natural mm. ways of doing something and then there are artificial mm. ones, and maybe the artificial it's easier, so we should go with the with the easy uh fix rather than you know create the the skills acquired yeah and I think you know that's um something that eventually uh, humanity needs to to battle you know the the easy solutions may do they have to be easy do you have to to uh do be a hero in your everyday journey <laughs> or you know, just um, uh, be lazy and always uh, go for the easiest. Uh, <laughs> it, one of the
1: things that like, we, we respect the heroes because of the effort we put in, but we don't want to put in the effort. But at the same time, we want to view ourselves as a as a hero. But then, by constantly taking the easy path, you view yourself, you label yourself as either victim and someone who's not heroic which allows you to that stops you from actually taking those heroic steps. But that that that's that balance of being a human, right? We want we we want to be a hero, but we want the easy path. But we respect the hero, and you know that that's the drama that unfolds. What's interesting to me is that I mean I feel like there's entry points all along the vagus nerve that you can actually induce positivity or you know switch it from sympathetic to parasympathetic, as they say. And so you're looking at that. I mean whether it's at the eyes with the EDMR or the breathing you're going through there, or or you know mindfulness at the top. There's lots of spots I think along or you know just you know your gut you know if you really if you want to jack up your vagus nerve just eat a whole bunch of sugar right just start dumping it in your system mm-hmm. and watch and watch how it responds so i think there's just different touch points throughout the system that you can kind of tap into it very much how you know your physiology affects your psychology and your psychology affects your physiology so it's actually a two-way street while most people think it's one directional it's actually it's actually both Not lanes familiar. and i think along the big point and, it, so. and
0: also it's like the, the false paradigm that they, the brain's a computer. <laughs> you know, it's like well, you know, it's a living organism, uh, and uh, memories are not stored in 0 in one, you know, there's emotional memory with the event memory, you know, everything in that, for example, uh lead us in new therapeutics for uh, PTSD and mm-hmm. having a, uh, doing exposure therapy for phobias and all that. Uh, so, virtual reality can, can play this role, and through the uh, occupying your, your senses, whether it's the, mm-hmm. the visual and auditory senses, olfactory, or other, um, gets you in a control environment where now the neuroplasticity, the different modalities, inclu- including the, the cognitive, um, as well as the, the sensorial, can be, in a way, manipulated, but for the good. Now, of course, you can believe she made for bad, and it's yet to be proven. You know how we can eventually leverage virtual reality to do more good than bad.
1: Uh, Technology is a race between utopia and disaster with all technologies. Uh, a knife, bread. Typical. You know, as it as it goes, battle. right. Yeah, but that's what I mean, a lot of the developers in this space you go into the medical space first, you know have it use this technology for good and feel mm-hmm. good while you're doing it. Um, you know, we you can use it for entertainment and sedation and repression and oppression and all that fun stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's just whatever technology is nothing more than the magnification of the humans intent and will. And hopefully the person who's using it is doing it for good right you know so i I love the fact that they're using it for therapy and helping heal people which i think is awesome (laughs)
0: um
1: along the way if you can talk about it you know what have been some of the things that you're talking about that have actually you know that you've had some lesson learns or some difficult battles where uh, as you're going through this uh you were like oh man i don't know if i can make it through this round uh, with this company Anything that you're at liberty to say that's public information, because I, I would love to learn on some uh, some lessons or some insights uh, that you're like, oh my god, I can't believe that happened, and I'm I'm going to learn that lesson either as a designer or in terms of developing the product itself. Mm,
0: that's a, an interesting one. Um, I think one of the the biggest things to that troubled me was uh, the responsibility. You know, it's like when you understand uh, how uh, sophisticated brain, the brain is and how naive at the same time, and how it's easy to to trick, how easy it is to to trick the brain. And Mm -hmm. then you uh, start designing around it and you leverage, you know, uh, things from psychology and all that, suddenly you feel that you have a lot of power and you, you start questions should I have all this power you know so it's a it's again you know uh thing of the hero's journey or how you know you are introduced to a, to a new powerful weapon mm. that you now have to, to uh, perform with and you are also growing with this power and you're growing with all this responsibility and you know that also opens up to the degree that you are an ethical person, uh, debates uh, around ethics and mm. what is ethical to do and how it's uh, uh, you go about it. So I think um, um, a lot had to do with uh, uh, this realization, as you know, with, uh, becoming more and more. Um, we are gaining more insights and expertise on, on how to to uh, uh, to do this um, these things in virtual reality. Mm. Um, and at the practical level, you know, I think there are boring things that happen uh, in every company, and uh, uh, especially in the startup world, with uh, the uh, um, you know the growing pains and all that. What I used to say. <laughs> and I can disclose that, it's like, um, uh, it's good to apply the same therapeutics (laughs) (laughs) into the company, you know, that, 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 you know, it's like, it's it's an organism. So um, you can say that it's not acute pain, it's chronic pain, so yeah, we can put the same management techniques that we asking people to do inside the comments. Breathe in, breathe out.
1: It's so right, man. You're like, is this a systemic on. problem? Is this something that you have to we have to dive deep in and actually and from the inside? And it's true, like your brain is multiple systems working together in one functioning whole, right? Like a car, but you're talking about it as as an actual company. And I completely agree because sometimes you have like cognitive dissonance. Where there's a separation in, in, in an organization where you we where you know they, they don't understand or there they, there's a there's an unsettling disagreement that you either ignore or you're press or suppress, and then it doesn't allow it to function at optimal levels and so yeah. I, I complete and if
0: you bake cookies that's fine you know <laughs> yeah. <weird> how much <laughs> sugar you put in the cookie but you just get uh, a sweet cookie if you if you come <laughs> now from from medical science, media yeah. uh, entertainment and technology and then all kinds of other ingredients that nobody ever cooked with. And you're not even talking the same language because you um, you know you're dealing with scientists and you don't understand technology and technology and don't understand media and business that tries to orchestrate things that they're coming from all these different um, uh, backgrounds. Uh, it's uh, a silencing. And you know, it's like um, great to have the experience and the exposure to these uh, uh, settings, for sure. Yeah, it's almost like a
1: uh, an ironic sitcom where you take different personality types and you bring them together. What happens when I take an artist and an engineer and I put them in yeah. the silent room and 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 I apply pressure on the outside <laughs> forces, right? Like financial <laughs> pressures and performance pressures and those other situations. You're like let's see what happens when they crack. And so it's, a, it's uh, but that's just, I mean, with any, what's so funny is though, like, I mean, much like in, much like people, I and mean, you know, we're talking about the hero's journey and the hero's journey is, is nothing more than the, the evolution of one's potential, right? So you have an ordinary person, you put them in extraordinary situations, you give them ideally magical weapons could be virtual or whatnot. They go through and they do battle against themselves. They have an ego death and then they're reborn into a new character, right? Your company has the same thing as you go through it. What worked at level one to level 20 employees does not work at level 20 to level 200 employees. And so you've got to find out how do you, how do you keep dying and re- getting reborn over and over again? Because sometimes that ego death doesn't want to happen. And so someone's holding on to, you know, the ordinary person when they need to go be extraordinary. And that just doesn't, that doesn't work unless they're, they're, they're doing it for absolutely right. uh, a, a deeper reason, which is so difficult so difficult brother so <laughs> what what do you think is the like for you i mean for you as a as either as a designer in this space or as as for the company itself like what's the you know what's the 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 cave that you fear to enter is there a place that is you know that like you're like oh that 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 looks interesting but i don't know if i'm willing to go into that space
0: yeah <laughs> wow i felt i felt that like Whoa, don't 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 bring me in there i don't want to go uh, <laughs> like, um i'm afraid of boredom <laughs> like you're afraid of boredom, of, boredom okay. of of going somewhere where there isn't any challenge it's like oh my god i hate that See? you the know like, yeah it's like um as long as they if, um I'll never go that far to weaponize uh, any, anything, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. I feel that uh, the primitive self or the primitive collective self is a self-interest of some, you know, it's like, I don't feel that there is um, merit in the fear of others. You know, there are people that are scared and they're they're scared of the sadhu and then they're scared of the other and this and that, but, let's not make it a a global, (laughs) I think that defines humanity, you know, Mm -hmm. I think that's, uh, these are exceptions, it's as a, uh, the more powerful uh, to, I don't know, um, carry along narratives of fear and control rather than narratives of uh, inclusivity and, you know, education and, you know, Uh, Progress. Eventually, we might reach a point where the narrative of progress and inclusivity is uh, uh, much easier for people to embrace than the the narrative of fear. But that requires a lot of education and new type of education. But to talk about this dark cave again, you know, it's like everything that is boring. You know, doing the same thing, photo prison, and all that. Take me out. Yeah, I prefer. You you like the excitement. That's
1: also could have been what appealed to you as a startup. The the fact that it's new, that it's novel, it's extreme. Absolutely, absolutely. You're going. So then, as the company scales, more than
0: that. Yeah, please.
1: I was going to say as the company scales and things start to level off and it more becomes boardroom meetings and that type of stuff, does that make you lose interest? Are you a perpetual startup person who wants to go and find the next exciting thing that pushes the boundaries? That's why
0: I I landed again into uh, innovation, structural innovation, innovation by design, um transdisciplinary uh looking in in other areas to transfer my knowledge from medical continue at the medical while mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's like uh after a point i found myself i'm like uh i could start a, um, uh, something like i have my own startup and this is that but it's like yeah but after a point everything becomes like oh how i'm going to sell how i'm gonna uh, scale how i'm gonna this uh, which is more like um Uh, Boring to me, exciting for others, and I found myself more like, oh, no, 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 you're an inventor or an innovator, you are in the space of creating new, you're in the space of driving R&D, productizing till the product is ready, you know, but other than that, um, I think there are other people that, you know, they're exceptional into um, leading uh, companies and efforts past that point. And maybe these people cannot do structural of and d and low level uh, design, but that's why we are collaborating.
1: Yeah, no, it makes sense because you're just passing, much what we were talking about the evolution of a company, what works at from one to 10 employees does not work from 10 to a hundred employees. And so sometimes someone needs to go from the front seat to the back seat and say, all right, the torch is yours, keep running. This isn't my show, you know, because yeah. there's the starters mm-hmm. and there's the growers and the scalers and that just, oh, that makes that makes a lot of sense. One thing you touched on that was great, and it's one of those things that I wasn't expecting. This you're talking about more so uh, around the areas of going for things out of things you hope to be true versus the things you fear to be true, and how you want to have more of teaching things around exclus- like inclusivities versus exclusivities, uh, abundance versus scarcity, and then how that that will take a lot of education because you if you think about that that doesn't happen to you kind of get up like you know maslow hierarchy, hierarchy of needs with they like can lighten and all that stuff because everyone starts in scarcity in terms of food water shelter if you don't have those things the only reason you're not going to be in there is because your parents paid the road or some other way a system created a, a benefit to where you don't need to worry about those things but as soon as you if you if you want to if you want to see scarcity go and take all the toilet paper from the local grocery store and watch everybody freak out because they can't wipe their butts you know what I'm saying? Like it's like it's a very low level issue that's like really it's not that big of a problem. But that that that. And we've that, been there, all of us. <laughs> we've all been there. We we know that we're like everyone's like, no, I don't I don't think I need to go to the store. But then you see everyone else do it, and that that wave of energy takes you, and then you get that that like, oh no, and it goes it goes from we're all in this together, then it's all for myself. And how I mean, how do you really teach that kind of um. Because you said it takes education, but how do you actually teach something like that? How do you how do you educate people to 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 create that abundant mindset? Like, I mean, it, would that's, you would you do that in the world of VR? Or what, what are your thoughts around that?
0: Uh, excellent points. I think uh, that's part of my my mission and why I'm interested in putting my time into uh, teaching this uh, class at uh, at USC mm. um, because it's it's challenging. I it challenge myself on how to bring students that have no idea about uh, VR special computing and and, uh, Mm. mixed reality and all that, that the general CS science uh, uh, graduate students that they only write code in 2D and suddenly you open the window and like, no, you actually can't be there. Mm. Uh, And along with that learning, you have to to teach them about you know user-centered design understand perception understand you know the the power that they have in their hands uh, to be mindful of the decisions to really drive them you know into somewhere that they were never thought that they will end up when they said oh i want to write code i want to become a computer scientist you know so it's it's exciting for me to see how I, along with the the course, I'm teaching so many other things about collaboration, about uh, ethics, about you know um, things that these uh, kids will never uh, be exposed to. Um, mm. Human physiology, psychology, name it. Uh, and a big chunk of the of that work happens through mentorship. So um, the the way I structure the the class. Uh, has a, a lot to do with mentorship, but also you know the lectures that we we give and all that. But when uh I compare the two, I think that students get more from the mentorship rather than the lectures. You go yeah. there, you praise me and say, "Oh, this and that," and be VR and place illusion and post-plausibility illusion, la 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 la. It's like, uh huh, uh huh. Okay, they, they, but they don't mean anything unless you put them in the context of their own work when they point out what is going on in the uh, environment or in the application when they get into breakthrough uh innovations f- for themselves when they take an idea and they're making making it, uh, make it in, uh theirs and of course all the complications of running running i don't know 10 teams <laughs> if you like uh a bit, some uh, some recruiter it's a, at some point is like um so what are the, is the biggest team that you you run? You know, and at the time I was running, I don't know, I um, uh, um, applied a team of, I would say, 25, 30, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then I thought of like, wait a minute, I ran 90 students a <laughs> year. You know? Because it's like from the, the pro, project management perspective or from the yeah. management perspective, to run with professionals, it's easier than oh, yeah. running I mean, students and then you scale that to 90 and like I run 15 projects and in, in 90. I, I can I can run a, a, a company twice as big as that. just because I'm dealing with professionals, just because the process is there that they're expected And uh so as part of the of the mission for me teaching is to create new ethos for these uh, students and a new understanding of the, of the world through the technology, through the collaboration, through, um, um, for those that they, they know me, I'm very critical also from, of mainstream uh, narratives. You know, so I've been teaching the uh, students how, I had a very specific slide about um, magic leap, for example, -hmm. And saying how this is not sustainable, how this is magical thinking. Uh, A lot of peers, you know, over the years, because I was, you know, critical of the the amount of capital and how they are going to fail to deliver on specs because of this magical thinking and not taking uh, a, a holistic approach in design and innovation and understanding that what are the limitations around the product. Uh, The thought that I was, I don't know, biased or this or that, I didn't for some reason like the the company. (laughs) It wasn't about that. You know, it's about being pragmatic and being a a scientist and, you know, looking at the evidence and say, the evidence tell us this. And look at this and look at that. So um, uh, I I like to be provocative with my my students, you know, because it gets them outside the, the norm. Even if, you know, I wasn't 100% about, true about everything I said about basically the, the vision of Facebook to mm. uh, have everyone working in VR for what, eight hours? I don't know what they're thinking, but I make these this, um, uh, cases and I go to my students and they like, go, so what do you think about that? Will you work for six hours in VR and then meet your friends in VR? You know, it's like suddenly they they feel like from that the narrative doesn't make much sense. Uh, And for me, it's not about um, changing the narrative as well as challenging the narrative. You challenge it and then it makes sense because the the outcome will be like, oh, yeah, it's a hybrid model where you you, uh, have an easy in, easy out, as I call it, from uh, virtual reality or other massive technologies, and you use them in your Real, reality workflow rather than create this imaginary uh, world where everything happens in reality.
1: Well, you I mean you touched on a couple of points. And so, I mean, one of them is really cool. What it sounds like to me is you're a, you're a mentor. I mean, obviously, you, you mentor about 90 kids through know, the whole process, but if you look at the hero's journey, you've gone through the loop and had a holy grail and you've returned back to a local community mm-hmm. to inspire other heroes along that journey, which is super cool because, I mean, especially like, trying to level up and be a designer where you're like, I'm just going to figure out how to be a VR designer. And they just like turn on the laptop and start Googling things you can get so far, but really a, a real mentor not only teaches you the, the critical, I would say the technical skills, but also the life skills along the path, which is more than anything, how to think and then how to challenge thought process and how to challenge you know, the, the mainstream norm concepts. Because going through, and I agree with the whole magic leap. They sold a vision, a wonderful fantasy vision, and it was like, "Oh my God, you can do that!" Like with CGI, we can do anything, right? And that's a, and that's how they did it, right? And they said, "Oh, we'll figure it out along the way." But even you, you've even touched on it earlier. You're like, "Well, you know, we said we'd figure it out," and so. But there's there's a difference between stretching the boundaries of reality and snapping it entirely, exactly. and because it's it's not it's not true. Uh, but the getting getting young ones to think about how do you, how do you think through a process? And especially as a designer, one of the things that you being designers in the space and human centric designers, cause I consider myself to be a human centric designer as well, is you really look at human patterns and loops. And when you make a new product, you say, oh, here's, here's your actual loop in life. And then you insert your product in that loop and make that life better. I want to get from here to across the street or down the street. I'm going to call a friend. Well, why not use the thing like Lyft or Uber? So you're inserting loops on top of that versus complete fantasy models of I'm going to spend my entire life in VR. Well, maybe not. Maybe instead of you just trying to overhaul your entire life into the world of VR, what if you just took the most painful things like, I don't know, uh, constructing 3D worlds, And have you look at it on a 2D screen and saying, well, how about you build it however you build it, then you put on the headset and then you can view it and it it more or less adds value versus just trying to force feed a world of fantasy into someone's life that no one's going to actually, no one's going to adopt. You're not going to adopt that. I mean, unless like, as as you and me know, put, put on the headset for eight hours, let me know how you feel. At the end of that, how does your neck feel? How do you feel? Do you do you feel good at the end of that experience? Is that something that you're like, oh my god, I can't wait to go in again, or you just you just nauseous for the rest of the day? So, um, it touched on this point because it's it's a realistic. The thing with people that have like ideas and then you know they look at products. The designers actually have to take those fantasies and turn them into realities, which means you have good designers. (laughs) Whoa! <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. There's, there's people that made I don't know the pet rock or other things that are just a great marketing thing. But, but you're talking from a design, human centric standpoint, which is like, do you like looking at the human centric design standpoint? I mean, do you have philosophies like if you were to, there's a a, a, a young adventurer starting out to become a heroic designer on these paths. What, what messages would you give young designers starting out in this world, in this space that? That maybe is either uncommon or something that you feel is, you know, ethos that you live by and principles of design.
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, I don't know <laughs> many, <laughs> many. Um, but Tough. you know, I, I think that a challenging assumptions is uh, it's a it's a good one to always hmm. uh, have a critical thinking over uh, uh, things and, and be vocal you know it's mm-hmm. like don't um be afraid to to have a voice uh that's what i say to my students as well that when you you join these companies you still have a voice you know because that's also what will make you different uh than just be compliant it's like oh yeah just give me the the brief and I'll code is it. like but ask the question is that the right thing to to code here yeah. um and you know, I think to to be always curious means that you should always be studious. So always to to learn new things. And the more diverse the learning is and connect the dots, the, the better it is for the, the learner. Otherwise you're just owning information the same way that I don't know, a computer has a hard drive. But the real <laughs> the real deal on a computer is not this hard drive, it's the processor. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the it's the ability. To you know, do things with information, not store the information. So mm-hmm. that's how I I became what I became. You know, it's like uh, it wasn't that I I constantly had a, a, a vision of learning more and more and more, but understand what I'm I'm learning and how it mm-hmm. fits a narrative of another discipline. You know, this whole thing of uh, polymathy. And for me, it was an easier entry into that because with the, the cultural background of being Greek and all that, uh, we were taught that uh, uh, philosophers were you know, polymaths. They knew physics and the new uh, uh, mathematics and they were studying this and they were studying that and everything, they, the glue of it all was philosophy. You mm-hmm. know, so eventually this separation into disciplines didn't make any any sense. It came with the Renaissance, or it came with some other constructs like the Industrial Revolution or whatever. Now, even you know, in academia, we're thinking how to glue disciplines together again. You know, create these layers of polymathy and ask students to take other classes. There's the Bridge Institute at USC that is talking about the end of disciplines and all that. It took a, quite a while. Mm-hmm. But I think we're getting at a at a pivotal point where more and more we'll see this transdisciplinary kind of approach where, um, you know, the, the breadth of knowledge is better than the, the surgical deep knowledge of a domain. And it's not going to go away. It's just that we need to find a balance between the, the two.
1: 100%. That makes a lot of sense. Just like a hub and spoke. You all hub together, go off and spoke in your own disciplines, come back together, but you need that. Yeah. You know, it's like, are you an individual or are you part of a community? Well, you're both and you <laughs> exactly. need both, right? And so it's, it's the, right. I always find that those truths are always at the balance between, you know, it's not one or the other, but the most truest truths are usually both, you know, and that, that makes a lot of sense. And it seems like that also resonates with me when you're talking about, how you're talking to designers on why you get them to challenge thinking, why you get them to challenge the thought process because you're like, look, you're not just um, passing something along along a chain. Where, oh, you want it red? I'll design it red. You want it blue? Mm-hmm. But you have a voice and you have a, you have a unique perspective and then life balance from all your histories and life lessons, You know, whether you're coming from a Greek background or any other background, you, you, you're taking it and you're processing it as a human. And then you're saying, I see what you say, but let me add my own personality my own flair and i think that's when you take you take the the skills and the disciplines of of what does it mean to be a good designer and then you throw your own flair on it and thus you can actually be creative which is what humans are meant to be versus just you know automatons processing bits you know from a exactly. to b exactly.
0: that's that's so beautiful you mentioned being greek is not a nationality it's a state of mind <laughs> you know? So. So there wasn't anything back there, back then, that constituted a Greek nationality. Nationality came okay. far later. Yeah, nothing, absolutely nothing. It was all about the language and the uh, the, uh, the philosophy. So mm. you know, it's like a, uh, now we, we have the the states and where they stand, cultures and where they stand, this and that. Before it wasn't like that you know not and you know the idea of the of the nation it's something that is contained it's enclosed uh but the idea um, of cosmos is something that's integrated is inclusive you know so i have a, a, a dear friend that uh, he's talking about uh cosmolocalism you know cosmolocalism. That the, the, yeah that the most important thing in the new century is wow. to understand that the, the locality is what gives universality but if you're talking about you um uh international you're the talking time. about you're talking about the nations being interconnected but they're enclosed but the mm. locality is you know where people see themselves and their roles within the the whole uh structure of the of the. Um, cosmos so
1: got it so i i lost a beat for a second but uh, it just it cut out for a half a second but what it sounded like you said was was a reflection on both i am an individual small little dust of sand but i'm also connected to the cosmos at the same time so Good recognizing time. both sides of those things at the same time really gives you the holistic view and the totality of who you are and how you fit in this world which is a beautiful philosophy uh-huh. um uh evangelist uh, how can people get a hold of you, reach out to you, connect with you if, if they want to learn more about who you are, what you do, and a little bit about your world?
0: Absolutely. the The best thing is through LinkedIn. Yeah, you know, I think emails these days, you know, pass and go. A lot of find, oh, people find me through uh, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of the times, I expect I accept uh, I, I accept everyone. Uh, I'm not that active seeking contacts, but people come to me, I'm like, okay, cool. So I have a big community, but I never hunted for a big community. I'd rather say I'm not an extrovert. I'm not an evangelist to go out (laughs) and preach about VR. I'm a a critical thinker, Uh, but uh, yeah, whoever wants they can reach me on LinkedIn, uh, send me a a message and I will definitely respond.
1: Beautiful. Thank you, Vangelis. This has been an awesome conversation. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I look forward to connecting soon and I I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. All right, brother. Have a great day. I
0: really enjoyed it too. Me too. This was
1: wonderful. Take care, brother. Bye now. Bye.
0: You too. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.